you must be one of those Bible boys. That is what was said to me on, I don't know, day two or three of my first ever real job in high school working at a Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was about 16 years old and just started, and one of the other teenagers, that's what she said to me. Now, I was homeschooled. I was a nerd, a little bit of a geek. I was not normal. I was a little bit different. But she said that to me. She said that to me in a way to make me feel bad, in a way to make fun of me. I simply, in response, smiled and said, yes, I am. And that was kind of the end of it. That was pretty mild, no big deal. But I remember that being one of the first real tastes, and probably because I was homeschooled, one of the first real tastes of being made fun of because of what I believe. And then all throughout my career, even to this day, even as in like recently, people that I'm around, they say things like, oh, Zach, close your ears. Oh, this will make Zach blush. Oh, Zach can't go there. Oh, Zach can't listen to this. Because they recognize that there was something different about me. I don't behave like the world when it comes to uh, my standards and, and how I talk and, and how I act. And that's not this. I don't say all that to lift me up. I say that to say that we should be different. And that's kind of our topic of discussion today in First Peter chapter 4. Now, here's the thing. In our society today, it's getting easier and easier to be a little bit different than the rest of the world because our society is moving further and further away from Christ. But it's important that we are different. It's important that they, when they see us, they see something different because what they should be seeing is they should be seeing Christ. So here in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay, so Christ is the example set before us. Keep in mind that, that Hebrews tells us that we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness because he was tempted in all ways that we are except without sin. Christ, the Almighty God, chose to come to this earth and live as one of us and suffer and die for your sins and for mine. He is the example. He chose his suffering. He chose to enter into that for your sake and mine. It says that we should have the same that we should arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. I like that he says arm yourself because it's a great reminder that we are at war. And the thing is, this war that we're, that we're fighting, it's a spiritual battle. It's not one of flesh and blood. Right? That's not who we wrestle against. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in high places. You see, it's a spiritual battle, and it's really easy for us as Christians if we don't have the mind of Christ, if we don't do what Philippians uh, 2 5 says, where it says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, it's really easy for us to forget who the enemy is. It's important to be reminded that the enemy is actually Satan, right? The enemy is sin. The enemy is not the people of this world. Those are the people that we are actually called to witness to. Those are the ones who need to be saved, right? Jesus said, I came to seek. I came to seek the lost, right? So that's that's the mindset that we have to have, but we have to be like Christ. When they see us, they have to see something different, and we have to be ready to fight that battle. But it says in verse 2, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The world is controlled by their passion, and we're going to look at that in just a second. But we're supposed to be living for the will of God, because it says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
Think about Romans where it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that, that grace may abound? The King James would say, God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin continue to live any longer therein? You see, we are dead to the sinful lifestyle. That should be part of our past as Christians. Because we're dead to that, that allows us, that frees us from being controlled by our passions and allows us to pursue the will of God in our life. It allows us to pursue Him and to keep our eyes on the prize. That's how we're able to, as it says in Hebrews, to lay aside every sin and the weight which so easily besets us. We have to keep our eyes on that prize, but we are dead to sin. We cannot forget that sin no longer has power over us. But when you look at the world, it says in verse 3, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. So he's saying, he said, the time is past. For you to do what all the Gentiles do, for you to do what the world does, what society around you does, for you to follow in their footsteps, that's behind you. That should no longer be part of your life. It's in the past. Leave it there in the past where it belongs. It says, for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Just stop and think about the last year and a half in our society and see how many of those things apply. I mean, sensuality, you can't, you can't turn on the TV or, or anything or a, a commercial, a billboard without having something sensual in nature on it. Passions. Our society does whatever they want to, right? In the Old Testament, you would hear the phrase over and over about Israel, and then they did what was right in their own eyes. And that's when they always got into trouble. When truth becomes subjective to the individual and you can do whatever is true for you, or that's the modern way of saying do whatever is right in your own eyes, that's when you start having problems because then you end up with lawless behavior. You look at last year when a whole city block was taken over by anarchists, lawlessness. And we seem, it seemed like the government was powerless to do anything about it. And we watched that and we think, are we serious? But that is the way that the world thinks. That is the way the world acts. That is what they are prone to do. Lawless idolatry, drunken drinking parties, <laughs> drinking parties. This was always... Like I, growing up in a Christian home, growing up as someone who who I I've never really consumed alcohol. Um, the drinking party thing always always got me because I never saw that as something being attractive. But a lot of people they love to do it, and and on TV and stuff they show you how much fun it is to go to a rave, to go to a bar, to go, to go to a party, and, and to drink and to get wasted. They don't always show you the next day. And the hangover and, and, and the mistakes that you've made during that time when you were out of control of, of your faculties. They don't show you, they don't always show you that the drunk driving accident that took away somebody's child, somebody's spouse, somebody's family member. They don't show you that. They just want to show you the good times, the fun times, because they're driven by their passions. And it just leads to lawless idolatry. That is our world today. And we have to be different. We cannot be like them. So the question is, is when people look at you, do you look different? Honestly, it's getting easier, I think, to look different than the world. You don't have to do, you don't have to be super pious or super religious or a super spiritual person to look different than the world. All you have to do is try to follow Christ. 
because in doing so, you will have a completely and radically different viewpoint than anybody else in society today. And what I'm finding is that even within the circles of our churches, even in those circles, what I am finding is that it's getting even easier to stand out, even in those circles, because I believe we are, and I'm going to use the proverbial setting, separating the wheat from the chaff. I think we're seeing who truly wants to follow Christ more and more in our society, but who's willing to stand on firm biblical principles. But going back to the whole idea of the spiritual warfare we have, what we have to remember is that the world, the people who are doing this, those are the people that we are called to witness to. We are called to tell them that what they're doing is harmful to them, right? Sin always brings pain and ultimately brings death. But there's a way out. There's freedom from that. There's freedom from being controlled by your passions. There's freedom from this lawless idolatry. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for your sin, for my sin. And then he rose again on the third day, conquering death, conquering the grave, so that, like the song says, there ain't no grave that can hold me down. Because one day we will see Jesus face to face. And even if I die in this, if even if I die before Christ returns. I will be resurrected. I will see him, right? Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death to me is gain. And life should be about Christ. And they should see that in you. You should look different. Verse 4 says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So they're surprised. They're surprised because to them it's just normal. Living like the world is normal to the world. And that shouldn't shock us as Christians that people who are not Christians don't act like Christians. But it surprises them. And then they malign you. That word malign means to speak about in a spiteful and spitefully critical manner. In other words, if you're a Christian and you do not behave as the world, they are going to speak about you spitefully. They're going to treat you spitefully and critically. They're not going to like it because the reality is if you reflect Christ and when people look at you, they see Christ in you, they are also confronted with their own sin and their own shortcomings. And they're also confronted with the fact that they also need a savior. Now, here's the hard part. Are we telling them? And this is where it gets hard for me. Because yes, I have a reputation at my job, I have a reputation at every job I've had of being somebody with higher values and higher standards than most of the people around me. However, it's not enough to just be a person of higher, have higher values and higher standards. I also have to be somebody who is a Christian, who, who is a witness, who is telling other people about Christ. So are we? Do we look different? And are we telling people what makes us different? That goes back to last week where we talked about being ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. When somebody asks you why you're different, what answer do you give? Do you, do you sugarcoat it? Do you beat around a bush or do you tell them it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ? It's because of your faith. That's what makes you different. And you don't do it to earn favor with God. You do it because you have favor with God. That's what separates you from other religions. It says, verse 5, it says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Okay. 
going back to the idea of the battle that we're facing is a spiritual one. It's a spiritual warfare, not one against flesh and blood. The people who malign you, the people who speak critically of you, spitefully of you, the people who make fun of you, the people who laugh at you, the people who call you names, the people who leave you out, the people who talk about you behind your back because of your being a Christian and, and you're going to suffer in those ways. And I think we'll suffer in more than those ways in this country. But right now, that's the primary way that we suffer. I think we will see us losing our jobs. We've already seen in our country people losing their businesses, losing their lifestyle, you know, how they make their living. They lose those things over being a Christian because they take a stand. And you're going to see more and more of that. But right now, most of us, what we're going to face is being made fun of a little bit. But those people who are making fun of you, you have to recognize that in verse 5, this is what's going to happen. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They're going to stand before Christ someday. That's a reality. Just like you and me. And there's only one of two answers. There's only one of two responses that Christ's going to give them. One of them, if they know him, if they've placed their faith in Christ, it's going to be well done, my good and faithful servant. But the other one is, depart from me. I never knew you. you. You do realize there's only one of two places that you can end up. You're either going to spend eternity with, with Christ. You're going to spend eternity in his, in his presence, glorifying his name, praising his name, living in that peace with him for eternity, or you're going to spend eternity in a place called hell, separated from the love of God. Now, hell is the outpouring of God's wrath. So God is present, but it is only his wrath that is present. It is only his anger and his and his judgment. That is all that is there. And it's one of those two things. So when next time you're made fun of, the next time somebody's laughing at you, and the next time you're ridiculed, the next time you suffer for doing the right thing, the next time you do all that, remember that that person that is inflicting that upon you will one day stand before an almighty God begging to be enter into his presence, begging to enter heaven, and Christ is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. We need to have a different perspective. Again, that's what separates us from the world. We can't be judgmental. We have to stand on truth, but we can't be judgmental. We have to speak that truth in love. We have to do it with gentleness and respect like we talked about last week. Because their eternity is on the line. And that's what we're here to do as Christians, as a church. Our job is the Great Commission. It's to tell them. That's what we've been given as a task. So, have you been telling them? Because I know I haven't been doing that the way that I should. Verse 6, it says, For this is why the gospel is preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The gospel. This is why the gospel is preached. The gospel is preached because they're going to stand before God and give an account for everything they've done in their life. They're going to stand before God. They're going to be judged. And we should be moved with compassion because that was the response that Christ had. That's why we have to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking when it comes to our suffering. We have to think like Christ and look at his example 
on the cross. Look at his example when he stood falsely accused before the Sanhedrin. Look at his example when he stood before Pilate. Look at his example when he was beaten. Look at his example when he was whipped. Look at his example when the crown of thorns was placed on his head. Look at his example when they clothed him in the purple robe and made fun of him. Look at his example when he was spit on. Look at his example when his hands were nailed to the cross. Look at his example when that cross was dropped into a hole in the ground. Look at his example when he when he suffered on that cross, suffocating to death. And when he could speak, what he said was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. That is the example that we have. We have to look different. We cannot live like the world. We have to be different. We have to be like Christ. And we have to tell them Christ is the ultimate example set before us. So the question is, do you look like him or do you look like the world? Mm -hmm.